0: Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falleth. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. It's a saying I've been thinking a lot about recently, and as I was sitting with the readings this week, it sort of came to the fore. And as I was thinking about this, I I thought of a character from literature, uh, the character of Boromir from J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. Boromir is a tragic figure in the story. He's one of the heroes who was recruited to help destroy the evil ring of power. And he sees the ring's power and gets sort of seduced by it. He, He thinks that he can wield this evil thing for good. He is, of course, unsuccessful in this. The ring corrupts what's good, not vice versa. In this way, Boromir illustrates a tendency in each of us to make our own version of the Faustian bargain, to try and justify our coexistence with evil so that we can accomplish some sort of abstract good. The scriptures, however, are clear that such an approach doesn't work. Walk as children of the light. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. The point today is that time's up on coexisting with the sin and vice in our lives. If our goal is to get through Lent to Easter, from this time of penance to resurrection, then we have to ruthlessly purge sin from our lives. In our Old Testament reading this morning, Israel is preparing to enter the promised land. This land was already given to Israel. God gave it to Abraham. Jacob and his sons dwelt there, but they had to leave because of uh, famine. And while they were gone, the Canaanite people infiltrated the land and occupied it. And the Canaanites were not a, a group of innocent people who just sort of accidentally wandered into the wrong place. No, they were a people bent by evil practices, practices like idolatry and temple prostitution and incest and human and especially child sacrifice. And so here's Israel, this fledgling nation, God's chosen people about to enter this land that's occupied by these people. And God says that they shouldn't coexist with this wickedness lest they be corrupted. And so they're called to drive out the Canaanites from the land, the occupiers from the land, While the Israelites did eventually take the land, as the book of Joshua details, they were ultimately unsuccessful in following God's command by driving out the Canaanites completely. So they allowed them to remain. And as a result, they sowed the seeds of their own exile later on as the presence of the Canaanites opened them up to and influenced them towards idolatry and many of the same crimes against humanity that had taken place in the land before Israel arrived there. On the first Sunday in Lent, we read the story of the temptation of Christ in the wilderness, his 40 days. And we talked about how in that story, Jesus is depicted as a new Israel who obeys God where Old Testament Israel failed. He undoes what they did. He does what they could not do. Today, in our gospel reading from St. Luke, we see that in exercising demons, Jesus did what Israel failed to accomplish in clearing out the land. So Jesus performs this exorcism at the beginning of the reading. And really, it's not the main point because it's only one half verse that says he does the exorcism. The main focus is on the reaction of the crowd that witnesses it. And there are two groups in the same crowd. The first group says, well, Jesus must be possessed by a demon. That's the only way he could drive out these devils. The second group take some more wait and see approach. They say, well, we need to see some more signs. I don't know exactly what kind of signs they were looking for. I mean, Jesus has just driven out a demon. That seems like a pretty good sign to me. So that second group is sort of an example of unbelief, willingness to kick the can down the road. But the first group, the first group is interesting because not only are they hostile to Jesus, but they're incredibly nonsensical about it. And so Jesus in response to this group quotes our 16th president Abraham Lincoln. That's a joke. Yeah, okay, go. But he tells them a house divided against itself can't stand. How can Jesus who casts out demons who are on Beelzebub's side do this by the power of Beelzebub? It's nonsense. And so Jesus says when he casts out demons, he does it by the hand of God. And when he does it, it's an inbreaking of the kingdom of God. It's driving out the devil, it's driving out these demonic oppressors, and it's delivering souls. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, and it grows, it unfolds. And so the exorcism acts that Jesus performs are, are little incursions, beachheads into the redeeming mission of Jesus. And he demonstrates this by telling a story, the story of a strong man who gets spoiled by a stronger man. The strong man has it good. He's got all his stuff. He's got everything he needs or wants. Well, then a stronger man comes and takes all of his stuff. And it's a little confusing at first. When you first read the passage, you're going, well, who's who in this story? The devil is the first man, the strong man, who gets dispossessed by an even stronger man. Jesus. That's what the act of exorcism is doing. It's freeing the soul. Jesus takes the spoils. And so the devil leaves the person who he possessed. He goes out into the wilderness and realizes life's not so great out there. He wants to go back to the soul that he had. And so he gets seven other demons and they come back and they see that the the house has been kept nice. It's been decorated. It's been given good things. And so they want to dwell there, and Jesus says it's worse for the soul that receives those seven demons after the initial exorcism than the one than it was at the beginning. It's a warning for us. Jesus understood what Boromir and the Israelites seemed unable to understand, which is that the spiritual life is a zero-sum game. Most of us, of course, aren't literally possessed by demons. If you think you are, talk to Father David. but this doesn't mean that we can't fall into a very similar trap where we convince ourselves that well it's okay if I participate in these demonic things in fact I would argue our Faustian bargains aren't usually so dramatic as Faust or as Boromir's or as someone who's demon-possessed in fact uh, that might make them more dangerous because we make them every day And we make them in the little things and we barely notice it. St. Paul understood the zero sum principle and applied it in his teachings masterfully. In Ephesians chapter five, which we read this morning, he provides us one of his vice lists. Maybe you've come across this in St. Paul. All of a sudden he starts listing off all these bad things. And at first you read them and you think, well, this is kind of, you know, legalistic, Paul. You're giving me all the list of things I shouldn't do. But actually the, the vice lists are very interesting and very helpful. And in today's deployment of the vice list, St. Paul shows us that there are two ways that we can follow and they are mutually exclusive. You can't have one foot in one way and one foot in the other. You're either on one going one direction or the other going the other direction. No compromise. So he lists these triplets of vices and then he provides an alternative to those triplets. So you can give in to fornication, uncleanness, and covetousness, or you can become a saint. You can participate in filthiness, foolish talk, and jesting, which he means vulgar talk there, or you can use your words to give thanks to God. You can give in to sexual promiscuity, uncleanness, and idolatry, or you can receive an inheritance in that inbreaking of Christ's kingdom. Which way? The first way, the vices, is a partaking in what Paul calls the unfruitful works of darkness. And of course, the list that St. Paul provides there is, of course, by no means exhaustive. We should understand the works of darkness as including anything and everything that fails to imitate Christ. These actions are not only rebellions against God but they dehumanize others. When we engage in each of those behaviors, we're dehumanizing someone else. And ultimately, even worse, we're dehumanizing ourselves. We're becoming less human. We become less human when we live in the darkness. That's not how we were made to live. And for this reason, the works of darkness, however attractive they might appear, are less desirous. They're not desirable at all, in fact, even if they might appear so on the surface level. Because darkness is characterized by a lack. Darkness is not a positive thing. Darkness is the absence of light. And so works of darkness are the absence of good. They prevent us from being who we are supposed to be. But thankfully, we're not stuck in that way. St. Paul gives us an alternative. There's the way of light. To walk in the light for St. Paul is to imitate Christ. Now, I love the King James translation. I love that we use it, but I do have a bone to pick with it this morning, which is that our reading says we're to be followers of Christ. Yes, that's a good word, but the word in Greek is mimesis, which is to literally to be imitators of Christ. I think it's a much stronger word to imitate, to become like him, to, to incarnate him in our given contexts. When we imitate the light, We're becoming who it is that we were made to be. In treating others as humans, we become more human. So not only are we calling them to the light, we're becoming who we were supposed to be. So the light then is a much more desirable way to be because it brings a kind of clarity and fullness to the human experience. And so we are where Joshua and the people of Israel were as they began to enter the land. Joshua tells the people of Israel, choose this day whom you will serve. And St. Paul does a similar thing for us. Which path will you go on? That's the choice before us today. We have just a few weeks left of Lent. Hard to believe. How will you spend those few weeks? Because right now is the time to confront those works of darkness in our lives and we have the spiritual tools during this season of Lent. We have them all the time, but we emphasize them during this season of Lent, of prayer and fasting and almsgiving. And so to accomplish our goals, we have to kind of do this twofold movement. On the one hand, we have to till the ground. We have to get rid of the evil. We have to get rid of the, the vices that plague us. We have to stop doing those things that hurt us and others. On the other, we have to plant We have to take hold of what's good. We have to to begin to embrace the virtuous. We cannot, cannot, cannot coexist with the evil in here. It can only be fought. It can't be compromised with. It can't be used for some better goal that's in the abstract. It can only be fought. It can only be purged. Because a house divided against itself cannot stand. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost um